Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. Hey, so we're excited to bring you uh, today again, Pastor Steve. He's coming with his third message in the series. I'll be back next week starting a new series. Uh, we're going to call it Soul What? Yep, that's what I said. So we're going to be teaching about the spirit, the soul, and different things about that and why it's important right now. Um, but Pastor Steve's going to be sharing today, and I want to say this before they come up. Uh, he's bringing Deanna as well up today, so you get to meet her. But many of you have already seen what's happening across the world, especially in Ukraine. Um, um, I know you're seeing a lot of stuff on TV, news media, and Facebook. Please take it with a grain of salt and understand your outlets and what you're listening to. First of all, are they actually trustworthy outlets or not? You need to think about that. I always say this, find the person who actually has been there, lives there, and knows the area, or actually has experience there. Listen to those people. He's maybe the only person I know in our church. Now, if you've been there, maybe, but he's the only person I know that has done ministry in Ukraine, has had partnerships in Ukraine in ministry, and as a pastor, they've tried to help get out of Ukraine during this time. And so he'll have some other things they can share this, this morning. So would you guys please do me a favor? Would you please give a warm, warm welcome to Pastor Steve and Deanna Holsinger? Give me love right now, would you please? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Give her the mic. Our text starts with a wedding, so I brought my bride. Uh, actually, Saturday Night Live began last night with a Christian choir singing a prayer for Ukraine. Wow, that's pretty amazing. The world is is taking notice. We've been there many times. We helped start a church in Nikolaev, one of the coastal cities down by the Crimea. Uh, we're helping the pastor escape. He's on a hit list because he was a chaplain for the military. Uh, he's on his way out of the country now, going to Poland where his daughter lives. Uh, and we're praying that they can get through. And there are thousands and thousands of refugees, people stuffing their kids through the train windows, their babies, saying, please take my baby to safety. It's just horrible. Uh, but I asked Deanna to... Uh, read the translation of that song, which is the prayer for Ukraine. So stand for prayer, and at the end, when she comes to the end of it, we're going to all say amen together to end the prayer. Yeah, this song, um, the prayer for Ukraine, is is kind of like their national anthem um, that it was written way back in the late 1800s, but you may have seen a video of a, of a group singing in the subway in Kiev. Yeah. Um, singing this song in, in Ukrainian, of course, and, and this is, I, I looked up the English translation, and this is the words of that song. May my prayer flow to you like incense sweet to you, my Lord, and may my heart without ceasing sing praises to my gracious God. Merciful God, we pray for the people. Merciful God, we pray for Ukraine. Save us from sin and forgive. Your grace to the people reveal. Merciful God, I know you'll take me into your glorious heavenly temple. You gave us joy, peace from above. You died for the people you love. Put their names to the book of life. You gave the way, the truth, and the life in your eternal living word so that all people prayed to the one who was crucified and shed his blood. And people said, Amen. 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 Thank you. You can be seated. We're studying the book of Ruth. We're on the third section of it. We said that it is similar to a play, 
with different acts. The act one was three desperate widows without hope, without help, without funds, without resources, and angry with God, particularly Naomi. The scene closes with Ruth declaring her allegiance to Naomi and saying, where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And uh, it's a beautiful statement. Scene two opens with Ruth going to the uh, barley fields to glean. Uh, Terribly hard work, but she was resourceful. She wanted to support her mother-in-law, and she was determined to uh, make a difference. And so she offered God something to bless. And when life is a mess, we should do what? Give God something to bless. And so uh, Naomi did that by returning home in spite of uh, having gone to Moab to live among the idol worshipers. Uh, And Ruth does it by pledging her allegiance to Naomi and by uh, declaring that she will work with her hands to provide for Naomi. that scene ends with Boaz, and Boaz is in love, and you can tell when you read it, uh, and he immediately takes interest in this beautiful immigrant who has come and is working so diligently in his fields. He tells his men, leave her alone. In fact, uh, put extra barley out. We don't want her going anywhere else, uh, and so you read between the lines, and you get a little excited because the romance is starting to happen, and uh, Naomi all of a sudden comes to life. And she's been in despair and angry with God and bitter. And now, now she says, this guy's not going to rest until he gets this thing figured out. And she tells Ruth. Uh, that that uh, introduces the next scene where Ruth goes to the threshing floor at Naomi's instruction and crawls under the covering uh, and basically um, asks Boaz to marry her. She basically proposes, um, and we said, no father thought that up. Go get, go get under his blankets. Um, but it was a custom, and Carrie Touchstone reminded me last week that something that I'd heard before, the, the uh, um, tunic could be worn several ways. You could, you could fold it and put it over your shoulder with a belt, so it becomes kind of a jacket. You can put it over your head, and it becomes a poncho. And you can take it and lay it on the ground, and it becomes your bed. And so every uh, person had one of those. And the corners of the covering were called wings, the wings of the covering. Remember that Malachi said that the Messiah would come with healing in his wings. And the woman who was taken with the issue of blood said, if I can just touch the corner of his garment. I'll be healed. And so there was great significance in uh, the garment. And uh, our scene last time ended with Boaz going to the elders of the city and saying, I'm qualified to be a kinsman redeemer. And so salvation gets introduced into the book. The kinsman redeemer was implanted in the history and the the, uh, memory of Israel that there was a redeemer coming. And... uh, he goes to the elders and says, but this guy, he made sure he was there. This guy's first in line. And he said, if he wants to redeem the land, let him do so. If he doesn't, I will. And basically, you can imagine him looking at the guy, communicating nonverbally, don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare get in my way. And 
The guy says, oh, that's good land. Elimelech's land uh, can be redeemed. Uh, it had been sold to somebody when he went to Moab, but he could buy it back. And he said, I'll, I'll do it. And Boaz said, if you do, you get two widows, and you've got to have babies with one of them. And the guy said, oh, no, I don't need that kind of trouble. And so he says, no way, I'm, you know, no. He said, you, you can be the kinsman redeemer. You can buy the land. And he throws down his sandal uh, to seal the deal, which is the way they did business. And so this scene now, Ruth 4, verse 11, opens with a statement from the elders. And it's the equivalent of a wedding. It's probably as much of a wedding as there was. They met in the city gates. The arrangement was made. Uh, Ruth is going to become Boaz's wife. She's okay with it. He's okay with it. Uh, off to the honeymoon. And so uh, it, it opens with a, with a scene, a statement from the elders. And these elders understood the power of blessing. Words are powerful and, and carry spiritual authority and impact. And if you don't learn anything else from the Bible, you see that from the very opening phrases. God spoke, and what happened? Everything you see. God said, God saw. And it goes back and forth throughout Genesis 1. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and so forth. And so they understood the power of, of blessing. And the patriarchs were famous for that, um, and blessings provide security and confidence for those who receive them. It's easy to uh, remember Jacob and Esau. And Esau, uh, or Jacob fooled the father and, es- and gave ja- he got Esau's blessing. And Esau cried out, Lord, isn't there a blessing for me? Uh, bless me too, my father. And his father said, I can't, Isaac. I, I can't. I gave the blessing to your brother. It was a, a, an important and powerful thing. But in this case, the blessing on the face of it looks more like a curse than a blessing. And you have to know what they knew in order to make any sense out of this. So here, here's the, uh, the statement. Chapter 4, verse 11. Is it on the screen? Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have, have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Now, if, if you're then through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Go back to the other screen. So, if, if you're sitting at the city gate and you're overhearing this and you hear this blessing, you're going to go, what? What? That's a ble- if that's a blessing, curse me. This is weird. This is the strangest wedding blessing you ever heard. It's like the father of the bride or the best man saying, may the divorce be amiable. You don't, you don't use the D word at a wedding. Even if you privately to each other say, well, this isn't going to last long. I, uh, we'll, we'll see the divorce later. Um, but, but this is the toast. And this toast is like saying, go back to the screen. This toast is like saying, uh, can you go back? No? Oh, okay. So the toast is like saying, okay, may you be like Rachel and Leah. Do you know the story? 
Rachel was the one that Jacob loved. Leah was her sister. Leah had problems with her eyes and wasn't an attractive woman. Rachel was beautiful. Uh, And Laban, the girl's father, tricked uh, Jacob into marrying the older daughter first. And then he worked seven years, got the younger daughter. There's lots of family trickery in here. It's not what you use for a wedding blessing. Uh, And so you have one bride who is not loved by her husband, the other bride who is barren and, and, and grieving all the time. And then, then what happens? Well, they have this baby race. Leah is having babies, so Rachel says, well, I can't have babies in a normal way, so I'll do it like our father Abraham did, which ended up being a disaster. Uh, and so they got the concubines involved. So now Jacob is running around the compound uh, with four wives to take care of, Uh, and children everywhere. They end up with 12 kids uh, before Rachel finally is able to bear Benjamin, uh, Joseph and Benjamin, uh, the two that the father loved. And so the family dynamics are horrible. Can you imagine living in that household? Where's dad? Oh, he's over at the other tent. Oh, great. (laughs) I mean, and and you have kids. I've talked to, I have a friend who grew up in a household of 100 Kids, 11 wives, 100 kids. He said his father didn't even know which kids were his. He said, we, we were raised by our mothers. We were loyal to our mothers, but the rest of the family, we, were, there was, we hated each other. There was all kinds of uh, inner turmoil. And so it's not a situation that you use for a wedding blessing. May your household be like the household of Rachel and Leah, who built up, yeah, you betcha, built up the household of Jacob. Um, and then the next slide. I keep going away on me. Okay, the next one. Oh, no, here it is. Thank you. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. As soon as they say that, the bystanders go, Ew, why did you bring that up? Perez was the illegitimate child of Tamar by her father in law. She made herself look like a prostitute, sat by the road, enticed her father-in-law to have sex with her, took his uh, walking stick and his ring, and, uh, uh, and lo and behold, she's pregnant. He says, kill her, she's been a prostitute. And she says, well, the man who owns these things, this signet ring, and, uh, is, is the father. And it's him. How many of you want that brought up at your wedding? So this is a horrible blessing. You've got to be kidding. Rachel was barren. Leah was unloved and miserable. The household of Jacob was a mess. Then we have Tamar and Perez. Uh, and uh, you know, imagine you're at a wedding and you make this toast. May this bride experience the frustration of childlessness, the pain of competing for the love of her groom with her own sister, and share her husband and two other women to reduce a household, produce a household filled with jealousy, rivalry, insecurity, and resentment. Hear, hear. <laughs> the blessing goes on. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And you say, well, that's more like it. No, it's not. Bethlehem at this point probably had a couple of hundred residents. It was a very small place, insignificant. Yeah, there was a prophecy later of 
of Bethlehem being the birthplace of Messiah. But at this point, it was just a small town. Uh, and if you're going to bless someone, you would say, may you have the blessings of what city? If you're Jewish, what city are you going to use for the blessing? Jerusalem. Yeah. May all the blessings of Jerusalem come on this family. That would be an appropriate blessing. I'd want that one said at my wedding. But I don't want it to say, may you be like the, uh, the fields of Ephrathah and the little town, old little town of Bethlehem. That wasn't a blessing. They already had that. So what's going on here? This is strange. The elders knew something. These elders saw something that had a familiar feeling to it. And I have to believe that God is in the mix. That these elders are actually speaking prophetically. They don't, it's not just them. They've got some spiritual help. Because at a wedding, we want to talk about happily ever after. We don't want a blessing that raises the champagne glass and say, may they be as messed up as this family has always been and let the divorce be as amiable as possible. These elders saw something that had a familiar feeling to it. They were not cursing Boaz and Ruth. They were pronouncing the ultimate blessing. They were recognizing the sovereignty of God at work. They were toasting God's providence. The much bigger picture. They were not... Uh, so God built a tribe of, 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 or a nation of 12 tribes out of the mess in Jacob's household. Rachel eventually gave birth to Joseph and Benjamin, uh, both of whom played a major part uh, in Israel's salvation from a time of famine. God raised up a prophet out of Rachel's loss. Among Leah's sons were Levi, the father of the priesthood and the tribe of people devoted to leading God's people into his presence through worship. Judah was the kingly tribe, the royal line from which the Messiah would come. God raised up prophets and priests and kings from the mess that was Jacob's household. Listen to the list of 12 sons in the order found in Revelation 7. Leah and the concubines' sons were Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, and Zebulun. Rachel's two sons were Joseph and Benjamin. Now, review with me the meaning of their names and see if you can recognize the hand of God at work in the midst of this mess. Judah means praise. Reuben, behold a son. Gad, a great company. Asher, happy and joy-filled. Naphtali, to wrestle and to overcome. Manasseh, forgetting, forgetting troubles and misery. Simeon, hearing ears open to God's voice. Levi, joined to the Lord. Issachar, a price was paid. Zebulon, a dwelling place. Joseph, add, the short version, the longer version, fruitful, a vine that goes over the wall into the neighbor's yard. Blessing being extended from Israel to the rest of the nations. Benjamin, son of my right hand. This was the father's name for him. The mother's name was Benoni, son of my sorrow. Now, 
Go back with me. Put the next screen up. Next slide. Here's the... Well, I think we're getting ahead. Oh, okay, all right. So here, here it goes. The son of my sorrow... Listen to this paragraph. The son of my sorrow has become the son of my right hand. Through him, blessing has gone over the wall of Israel into all the nations to provide a dwelling place. You got another slide? A price was paid, and we were joined to the Lord. We have heard God's voice allowing us to forget our troubles and misery. We wrestled and have overcome and are a great joy-filled company. Behold, a son. Praise the Lord. Woven into the history of Israel was the promise of a, a Savior. And in the mess that was Jacob's household, all those 12 sons, God was building a dynasty. God was going to create something beautiful and amazing and powerful out of the mess that was Jacob's household. And it was hidden in the names of those boys. The circumstances were horrible. The experience was awful to grow up in that household. But the fulfillment is awesome. The hope of Israel, the hope of salvation, the message of salvation, the gospel is woven all through that experience. And so now you know why the elders, by inspiration, are really giving a blessing. It wasn't a curse. It wasn't something strange. It wasn't weird. It wasn't icky, although it feels that way on the face of it. They were uh, proclaiming God's sovereignty. They were proclaiming God's providence. God was at work in spite of the mess. God was at work in the midst of the mess. Because even though they were so fouled up, they were still God's people. And God was determined to bring his son into the world to provide salvation for the world. The gospel is embedded in history. Now, what about the other part of the blessing? May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Again, there's a clue in the name. Perez means breaking out. If you know scripture, you know that in Exodus 20, God made a statement to Israel. He said, I will, give I will curse up to three generations of those who hate me. But I'll provide blessing to a thousand generations of those who love me and obey me. And so what God is saying is that every three generations, even if things go south and things are bad, I'll intervene. I'll only allow sin to go through the, the generations for three generations. And so we see in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the sin of lying that's just characteristic of those men. And then God brought Joseph into the scene. You see... Uh, situations where alcoholism travels from generation to generation to generation. But God provides opportunities for someone to be a Paris, to break out. And so the name Paris means breaking out. And they're saying, may, may this wedding be the official breaking out of this family from their sin and their consequences of going to Moab and worshiping or living in the midst of idol worshipers. This will be the beginning of God forgiving and healing and restoring this family that for their own, by their own fault created a mess. That's what God does. 
Through this marriage, there's a breaking out, a breaking out of pagan roots, of sorrow, of barrenness, of poverty in Ruth's life. Breaking out for Boaz. Breaking out of the stigma of uh, being the prostitute's son. We mentioned that last week. Matthew 1.5, the genealogy. He was the, the son of Rahab the harlot. That must have been fun growing up. Uh, and in spite of it, he took the land that had been granted to his mother for her faith in hiding the spies and became a wealthy man. But he was that guy. He wasn't married. No good Israeli family wanted him to be a part of their family line. But God did. And God intervened. Breaking out. For Naomi, it was breaking out of disappointment and bitterness toward God. Breaking out of emptiness into the fullness of hope and joy. Larry Crabb in his book says, When the toast was given at the marriage of Boaz and Ruth, I picture Naomi nodding soberly. She knew the nature of the spiritual journey. She knew that only the pain of shattered dreams has the power to weaken the stranglehold of the flesh. She knew that only brokenness provides access to the depths of the human heart where the best dreams are dreamed. Perhaps someone approached Naomi after the wedding and said, wasn't that a strange toast? I didn't like it. And I hear Naomi turning to her friend with a look of sad joy and replying, in the next life, a different toast will be offered. For this life, the toast was loving and necessary. I heard the elder wishing that Boaz and Ruth would develop the wisdom to know that neither human selfishness or frailty can thwart God's grand and eternal purposes. He wants them to experience whatever hardship will compel them to abandon themselves to God for the good things they can neither see nor provide. I wish the same thing for them. I now know that shattered dreams free us to value what is best. They help us see God's invisible hand moving us toward our deepest joy and moving everything, including our lives, toward Shaddai's greatest glory. Look at verses 13 through 15 with me. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. This great story reminds us of some powerful truths. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. The blessing reminds us of God's work in the lives of of people in the past and stirs confidence in us for his faithfulness in the present. God promised Jacob and you and me in Genesis 28, 15, and 16, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Israel is the only nation to go out of existence and come back three times. Why? Because they're so great? They're so full of faith? No, they're basically atheists. 95% of Israelis are atheists. But they're the people of God. And God is faithful. 
Whether they're faithful to him or not, he's faithful to them. And he keeps his promise. And he made the same promise to us. Wherever you go, I'll be with you. I'll bring you back to blessing no matter what happens to you if you just don't give up. Jacob speaks for us and for all, and for Naomi when he says in verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. That's where we live most of the time. We live in the presence of God, but we're not aware of him. We live under the providence of God, but we're not aware of it. We've been weeping over Ukraine. And then who would have ever thought Saturday Night Live would start with a Christian choir singing praise to Jesus? What's God doing? Well, he's doing something. You see, we need to shove the politics aside and all the garbage and pray. And we need to say, God, we trust you. We're asking you to bring good out of evil. We're asking you to work in this situation. We're asking you to do miracles. We often quote, well, uh, I want to quote Timothy George from the Holman Bible Dictionary. Providence in God's faithful and effective care and guidance of everything which he has made toward the end which he has chosen. Providence is God's faithful and effective care and guidance of everything which he has made toward the end which he has chosen. The point is not that following Christ will exempt one from trouble or pain. When it, what it does provide is the assurance of God's presence in the middle of the stormy tempests of life. We talked to our friend Oksana. She's huddled in the basement of her apartment building. She can't leave because her, her husband is military age. Uh, he's a TV executive in the city of uh, Nikolaev. So she's in the basement, hunkered down. And she said, we're trusting God. And you just say, God, how could I ever in this life know people, such people of faith? We offered our friend Sasha some more money. He said, let me arrange for you to be able to give that to the people who are left behind. He's, he's a refugee. He needs money. But he loves his people. We don't des- the world doesn't deserve people like that. But they exist. They're all over the world. They're all over Ukraine. And they're seeking the providence of God. We often quote Romans 8.28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And sometimes we overlook the next verse, which is God's definition of good. Verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's will for you, his purpose for you, is to use the experiences of life, of your life, to help you become like Jesus. And when we have the wisdom of God, we say, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. If you're going to use this horrible incident in my life, if you're going to use this illness, if you're going to lose this loss, to make me more like Jesus, then so be it. Then praise the Lord. It'll be worth it. God's purpose for you is to orchestrate all the events of your life, good, the bad, the horrible, to help you become like Jesus Christ. And his purpose for you is far more than happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. But joy is based on the presence of God. 
Joy is based in knowing the Lord. Joy is based in knowing and trusting God's providence. He wants, what he wants for you is glory throughout all eternity. And then verse 30 and 31, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now the final scene. Ruth 4, 16 and 17. We read it already. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. So here we are. We're back in the theater. The curtain has closed on the wedding scene. And now comes the happily ever after. And the curtain opens again. In the middle of the stage, there's just a rocking chair and a grandma and a baby. The spotlight is on them. We watch as Naomi looks down into the bright, innocent eyes of a child with eyes full of love and slowly lifts her eyes in an adoring gaze toward heaven. And we hear a chorus of women's voices singing, Naomi has a son. Naomi says nothing. She's enjoying the presence of God. And the curtain closes. My blessing over you is that you'll be honest with God like Naomi was even in bitter times. They will be resourceful and diligent and obedient to God like Ruth was in spite of her loss. That you'll be kind and generous like Boaz in spite of the way people may treat you and that you'll become better, not bitter, when life is a mess. That you'll give God something to bless. And when the end of the story comes, you'll gaze into his face completely satisfied in him. And a heavenly chorus will say, God has a son. God has a daughter. And we'll find our fulfillment, our peace, our satisfaction in his presence. The rest of the story. 17b. Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. And at that point, the audience in our theater erupts in praise and celebration. Here's what God was doing. He was bringing the king. That's all their focus was at that point. He's bringing us the king that he promised, King David. But the real promise wasn't King David. It was King Jesus. That little boy in Naomi's lap became the grandfather of David, the great-grandfather of Solomon, and the ancestor of Jesus Christ. And as a follower of Christ, that little boy is a part of your heritage. In order for this to happen, clear downstream, the coming of Jesus, this had to happen over here. These horrible things that they endured. The pain and the loss and the suffering and the ridicule that Naomi and Ruth and Boaz endured. But God was at work. His sovereignty is his overall control and power over the universe. His providence is using the events of life to bring about the, the purpose that he, he once accomplished. And make no mistake, 
He's at work. The nations with this Ukraine, the nations are responding in a way no one ever thought they would. God is at work. We can't get sidetracked with hatred toward Putin. We can't get sidetracked with recrimination against the Russians. We need to be looking for God. And we need to remember that he is sovereign. And he is provident. And he's providential in the events of life. And just like he brought tremendous blessing and eventually a Messiah out of the bitterness and the pain of Naomi and Ruth and the ridicule endured by Boaz, he will bring about his purpose in your life. And his purpose for your life is to help you become more and more like Jesus. May it ever be. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Amen. You see why I love him? He's just a wonderful guy. Wonderful guy. And a perspective that, you know, you're going to get that comes from wisdom. And someone who studied scripture as long as he has and been a pastor as long as he has. uh, I just love it. It's very very comforting to hear news like that, right? It reminds you where you put your faith in. It's not your news network. Can we just all agree on that? They get paid a million bucks every time they yap. And uh, the more you get agitated with them, the more money they make. They are made, they're made money off of your agitation. So put your faith in Christ right now. So a couple things I want to do. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for um, the folks over in Ukraine. But we're going to be doing something on Wednesday night, this Wednesday night. We're going to start as a first Wednesdays. We're going to start a time of just a time of worship. It won't be streamed, so if you're watching online... Uh, it's just not something we're going to be streaming, uh, but we're going to have a prayer and worship time on Wednesday night uh, from 6.30 to 7.30, starting this Wednesday. It's only the first Wednesday of the month, and um, we're going to have a time of worship. We will, but so while students are in youth group, that'll still be going on. We'll come over here, and we'll pray and we'll worship, but we'll pray this this Wednesday specifically for uh, the area of Europe, you know, Ukraine. We'll be praying for Russia. We'll be praying for other areas, just whatever God puts on our heart, but we're going to pray for these areas, and here's why. I think it's funny how, you know, when things happen in Iraq, well, people are frustrated. It gets them upset. When things happen in Vietnam, people are upset. It makes you mad. You get frustrated. It's it's different. It's different though when it, when it happens when it's Russia. Um, I was on an airplane this week, and a young man was probably maybe early twenties, if that, very young guy. He's telling me about what's going. He's reading his news. You know, like, oh my goodness, he's so scared. He tells me. Now, he's 20 years old. Like He's got to be like 20, 21 at the most. He's telling me, he's like, they have nuclear weapons. You know what that means. If we can't stop this, you know what that means. He's so scared. And I was like, yeah, I, I understand. This is nothing new. That's why we should put our faith in God and not in what the governments are going to do. We should put our faith in God. And so if this is bothering you, one of the best things you can do is what Pastor Steve said. We're going to pray for our brothers and sisters. And understand this week before you leave here, because in case you can't come Wednesday night, or you're not you know, able to stream this Wednesday night, understand that we have believers, just like he talked about, that are hiding in the basements right now with their children. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. So please, when you think about things, I know it's frustrating, but when you think as a believer of like, well, we ought to just bomb them all. Understand, I told somebody this before when they wanted to bomb Iraq. We should bomb all of Iraq. I said, well, the problem is when you do that, when you bomb Iraq, you bomb my best friend, one of my good friends, Grady, who I went to school with, who's a former Marine, by the way, who backpacked across Baghdad through the areas he's in and lives in a burl, and now has six kids, 
that's been born and raised in Iraq, and he's preaching the gospel, reaching Iraqis for Christ and training some of their military. So when you talk about just wiping a country off the face of the planet, understand there's brothers and sisters in Christ sitting in there right now. So that's not an option. That's the last option. And the second reason I say this is because I want to do something right now as we pray for them. If you have family over there right now, if you have family in active military, would you please stand for me right now? If you have a family member that's in active military or a good close friend, just stand your feet, please, just right now, real quick. Anybody in the house? I know there's some over here, some over here. You have active military. They're your friend, your family member. They're active. Now, I want you to look at these families right now. This is real. When people on the news say, let's, we ought to just do this, their blood gets called upon. It's a real deal. I don't want that to happen. I'm praying that God intervenes, like that something changes. We can do this without a military fight. You may think, well, that's not American. Well, you've probably not ever lost anyone or prayed for a family member who's been killed in action. I don't mean to be so curt with you, but I'm just being real. So I love to pray for them. And here's what I want you to do right now. As you guys are standing, we're going to pray for these families, pray for their family members. And here's what I love you to do. If you have served in the military, you're retired, you served, you, you did time in the military, I don't care what or how long, it doesn't matter. Would you please stand up too right now? It doesn't matter how long you served. I don't care if you was in there two years and you say, I didn't do anything. Yeah, you was in there. That's all that matters to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you guys all for your service. Amen, right? Amen. So here's what I want to do. As we pray for them, those of you who are standing that you, you, you've been in military, would you just please stretch your hands out over here and everybody else in this room, maybe just stretch your hands out to any of these folks that are standing up right now. And just if you're close by, just lay your hand on them if you don't mind. If, hopefully they don't bother anybody. But if you're close to somebody, just lay your hands on them real quick. We're going to pray for their family, and then we're going to pray for you, okay? But Lord Jesus, we come to you right now, Lord. And in the name of the Almighty God, Lord, we don't know what's going to take place, and we don't have all the answers, and we don't see the end. Pastor Steve just shared some great things with us, Lord, about your working, God. And we just believe that you're working. And so, Lord, we're asking you, by the, by the grace of God, by the mercies of God, would you watch over every family member right here that's represented in this room? Lord, would you protect their children? Would you protect their family members and their friends? God, would your angels be charged in the name of Jesus to encamp around about them everywhere they go? Everywhere they stand, no matter what soil they walk upon, I just pray you're covering upon them in the name of Jesus right now, Lord. Watch over them, God. Guard them. Dear Lord, we're asking for your mercy in the name of Jesus. Would you just overshadow them? And I pray that you give peace for every family that's in here right now. And we are so grateful, Lord, for their acts of service, for their willingness to step out. And in Jesus' name, we thank you for it. We ask you, Lord, again. Watch over them, keep them safe, God, and bring them home safely in the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. You can be seated. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. Give my hand, would you please? Thank you. My, my grandfather was, it was probably the last two years of his life that I never knew what he was involved with. He never talked about it, and most of these families never do. And they give and give in ways that you and I don't understand. And um, the last thing we need is more stories later in their lives. We, I, I'd rather be the story of nothing happened. And uh, pray for diplomacy. Pray for a change of heart. Pray for everything you can think of God to intervene in any way besides military. second thing I want to pray for is this. Uh, before you go today, if you're watching online, um, if you're here, and as Pastor Steve has shared these last three weeks, 
And you, you're sitting there thinking about, well, my life with Jesus, I don't know where that is. I'm not really certain about what unfolds after this life. I really don't. I thought, I mean, I've grown up in Rome, Georgia. Maybe I've been around this, this very religious area. Just assume I'm right with God. I've been to church all my life, but church doesn't save you. Church won't redeem you. A church is a gathering place for worship. It's a governing, spiritual governance that is there to build up and strengthen and equip and disciple and to see salvations take place, but a church won't save you. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. So if you're in this room or you're watching online right now and, and, and you're concerned about the future, I mean, it's going to shoot it straight with you. You know, this young man sitting beside me in the airplane, <clears throat> he was talking about praying for this and praying for that. So, I, you know, I was pretty certain he's a believer. We didn't get into conversations, but pretty confident he was, uh, he was praying about some things, showing me some things, but he's afraid. And maybe you are too. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but the biggest thing I would say is if you're uncertain about the future, I want to pray for you right now, particularly in the area of your faith. And so would you just close your eyes just one more minute for me and just bow your head just for a moment. Those of you watching online as well, just in your home, you're listening online, whatever you're doing, I want to pray for you right now. Just repeat this after me. The whole church is going to pray with you. We're praying in this room. We're praying for you right now online. Um, but if you're in here, just pray this out loud with me. The Bible says that as a man believes in his heart, that confession is made into salvation. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that he died for your sins. It is very important that you uh, confess that with your mouth, that you say that out loud, because it is through confession salvation is made. You believe in your heart, but you need to say it. Um, that's biblical. That's not a, that is a biblical uh, mandate for salvation. So we're going to pray together right now with your eyes closed. Just pray this with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my heart. I give you my life. And I ask you to save me, to forgive me of all my sin. In Jesus' name, I surrender my will to you. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you, church. Would you give me a hand right now? So proud of you. If you prayed that prayer online, so, so proud of you. Nothing more important that you could do is to pray uh, that prayer. And so before we go today, I just want to share a couple things with you as we leave. First of all, if you prayed that prayer, connect.cornerstonerealm.com. Uh, please let us know that. We want to help you get started walking with Christ, give you some information if you're watching online about discipleship, how do you can get started walking with Christ. Um, also, if you have any prayer requests or anything like that, you can do that. And you know, it's weird how you get out of a rhythm of something, but at the end of church, we have people that will be down front and they will pray with you. If you have anything you want to pray with and you're here and you say, man, I just need somebody to agree with me or pray with me about something, they will be down front as soon as we dismiss. They're always down front. I just got out of rhythm of it and I forget. They always tell me, you forget. I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know how that I just, it's been a crazy couple of years. It just got me out of rhythm, I guess. But um, a couple of things I want to share with you before we leave. And that's just simply this. Um, I'd already told you about the first Wednesday. Next Sunday is, is CTV, which is Catch the Vision. If you want to know about our church, where we're going, what we're doing next as we move forward, that'll be next uh, Sunday. You can find out all this stuff here. There's CTV, cornerstonerome.com. You go to events.cornerstonerome.com. That'll all be there as well. And then, you know, I, I was praying about this. We had someone give something last week. Uh, we had a, a, a significant gift last week. And so I don't know who you are, but I want to say thank you. Um, but every time we get a large gift... If any size, doesn't matter if you give $1, 10 cents goes to our outreach. We go and we give that out. So we've already given some extra this year towards things that we didn't plan on. 
But given what's going on right now, um, so we have uh, our friends that are over in Aliyah Return Center. We already given some money to them. There's Ukrainian Jews, and I say that with the utmost respect. I don't know if that's the proper way to say it, but you get what I mean. They have been able to get out. You can't get out now. It's Everything's closed. But there are some going to be housed at the Aliyah Return Center in, in Israel. It's a Christian organization, and they will train, house, and, um, and, and reach them for Christ. But they will help them because, as Pastor Steve said, they're refugees. It isn't like you get a visa and go stay in a Hilton somewhere. It's over. And so we want to help them some. So uh, I just wanted to, to know that we're going to be giving some extra gifts towards them uh, as well because we had a, a good gift come in last week. So I'll, I'll say that because I want you to know, um, like, we stirred what we do with. We're very sensitive about that. And I know we could do other stuff. People tell me all the time, why don't we do this, why don't we do that? Well, we carve out 10% of our budget, more than that. It depends on, you know, if we can give extra, we give extra, but at least 10. And it goes out to our outreach areas. And I know you can do other stuff, but it's a tithe to us. It means something to me. It's important to me to give that back to the kingdom of God. And for people that need it, I just believe strongly in doing that. And I've seen God bless and do great things. And we're just going to keep doing that. If you guys just keep being faithful in what you're doing. We'll just keep giving it to ministries and doing other things and, and blessing other people. And so I'm excited to be able to do that, help some families that are coming out of exile. And who knows, what if through this they come to faith in Christ in Israel? They grow up in the Galilean region where Jesus himself walked. And who's to say in the next generation they don't turn around and change that 95% atheism rate in Israel because of this? And you might could even be a part of that, changing that. And so. I just believe in those kind of things. I love what Steve said. That's awesome to see. That third and fourth generation is a big deal to me. Um, I think it's a wonderful thing to hear that. So I just want to say thank you for giving. You can give .cornerstonerome.com. Be a part of that if you, <clears throat> as you give. And I just want to let you know about that. And thank you guys so much for your stewardship, for your giving. It means a lot to us all. So would you stand on your feet this morning before I let you go? Let's speak this blessing over your life. And uh, this is found in Numbers chapter 6, and verse 24. We always love to speak this over you guys, um, especially you guys over here that are so sleepy. I mean, look at y'all. They're, barely, they're like, yeah, I'm here. I'm going to speak this over you guys and bless you guys in Jesus' name. So the Bible says this in Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you his peace. And that is our prayer over you and our blessing over you in Jesus' name. God bless you guys so much. We'll see you Wednesday night. Have a great, great day. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.